Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. I want you to all pretend like you're Chinese, okay? So the Chinese church, they, they'll bring people in and they have to preach for like three days straight, 12 hours a day. So that's why today's going to be, we're going to have food brought in. I'm going to keep you here for the rest of the day. Just kidding. It may only be an hour, but seriously, I did want to cover this. The Lord wants me to cover this. So um, engage your hearts. Father, I ask you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of God to be released over us, that you would draw us into your storyline today, that we would fully feel you manifested in our emotions and in our mind, in Jesus' name. Okay, so I'm going to be speaking on Song of Solomon. So the Lord told me to do this, and I was like, really? Okay. And he started burning um, Song of Solomon in my heart. And... um, and he said, I want you to, to cover the whole book in one, on one Sunday. And I'm like, okay, so you know that's eight chapters. And uh, then I'm, I'm, this is hitting me hard on Song of Solomon. And, I, and I'm, I'm telling Lindsay um, Hatch about it, and we're talking about it. And she said, well, you know that tomorrow's the first month, the first day of Elul, E-L-U-L, Elul, it's the new Hebrew month today. So we're, we're shifting over. And, um, and so I have to read this to you, which is just amazing how God plans things out. The Hebrew letters uh, that comprise the word Elul, E-L-U-L, is Aleph, Lamad, Vav, and Lamad. They're an acronym for the verse from Song of Solomon that means, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. This month is a symbol of the king coming out into the harvest fields to be with the harvesters. So I'm just so excited about this message the message of love, the message of the Song of Solomon. So um, if you brought your Bibles, um, please turn in your Bibles to uh, Song of Solomon chapter 1. I'm not going to actually start there. I am going to um, just talk to you a minute about this whiteboard that I have up here. And the people, um, our media team is really excited that I have a whiteboard and I'm wearing white. (laughs) They were like, oh, great, that'll be great to capture. You'll be a floating head. So I just wanted to show this to you um, because this is basically summarizes Song of Solomon. Can everybody see this? Can you see this over there? Okay. Can you see this? Okay. There you go. All right, look. All right, so um, we're going to, we're going to just call, this is a, this is a person. We're just going to call this guy Bob. I love Bob. It's my favorite name because backwards and forwards, you got the same name. Okay, so here you've got Bob, okay? Here's Bob. Smiley face. So Song of Solomon, in essence, is this is where we are when we first encountered Jesus. We have a big head. We're big head Bob got a big head and we got a little heart we got a heart of stone now we don't really realize that because we're because we think man i got it i got it figured out i got it all together man this jesus thing is amazing 
And so we've got this head, and, and in this head is, is pride and fear and lies and deception. But again, we're really not aware of our condition. So, so the Holy Spirit, in his beauty and his perfection and his, his love, what he does is he takes us on this amazing journey. And Song of Solomon is about every single one of you. Yes, it's a poem. Yes, it's a beautiful story that's a metaphor. It's the song of all songs. The, all, the, the song of all songs that will ever be sung. It, you know, Roland sang amazing songs that were written. They're beautiful. But it doesn't even compare to the song of Solomon, who is God himself said, this will be the song of all songs. Because this song is about Jesus and it's about you. God wrote this song that would be sung forever and ever. And so the journey of the Song of Solomon is beautiful because he takes us on this journey of love and pain. Love and pain. Love and hardship. There's two dark nights of the soul in the Song of Solomon. And both of them are unto getting us to the greatest measure of love. Okay, so that we can come over here and we can be little head Bob, big heart Bob. Every single one of us, God's goal is to get us to grow up in love and grow up in authority. But it is, but, but the fullness of love is where the fullness of authority comes from. Authority is not power. Authority is when love is fully manifested in God's power. So this is your journey, every single one of us. I want you to know something, though. This is not your destination. This is God's destination. Your destination is actually the journey and enjoying the journey and understanding how to be processed through the journey. Because the way we start off, when I first got saved, man, I thought, this is amazing. I had never, ever, ever, ever known that kind of love. When he broke into my life, because all I knew is people were telling me about Jesus and they were telling me all about the rules and got to do this and not do that. And I was like, well, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I just want to go do a shot of tequila. I just want to do a line of Coke. I just want to have fun. And then Jesus broke in. And I was like, what is this? What? <laughs> what? What is this kind of love? Why didn't anybody tell me about that? Because that, I would have run to him. So that's basically what we're going to do. We're going to tell, I'm going to tell you the story. Now, I want you to know, though, back to this month that we're entering into, it's really important this month when the king is in the field for you to be praying Psalm 27 over yourself every day. Write that down for those of you that have brought your journals or in your phone. Psalm 27 every day, okay? Your good army. You're good soldiers. Psalm 27, every day. It's important, okay? Going back to Song of Solomon now. So each one of us comes to a place like this. Each one of us gathers in a corporate setting. Why? Because we want to encounter the man who is the most desirable. We want to come in this place and know that he knows us. Because when we come in this place, 
we feel his presence. Our hearts come alive as we connect to him in this kind of corporate worship. The most frequent prayer that we pray in this house, that we've prayed in this house for the last 17 years, gosh, I think it's almost more than that, has been Ephesians 1.17, that the eyes of our hearts would be illuminated, that we would know what is the hope of his calling. But not only that, but we would know the glory of his inheritance in us. You see, we come before the Lord to worship him and adore him because he means so much to us. There is none other like him. But what we need to understand is that he is saying to us that this story is also about us. The longing of our heart is to be near the one who is the most beautiful. But the longing of his heart is to be near us because he has something in this. He's, he's got a reward in this whole story. And the reward is you. His inheritance is not silver. It's not gold. It's not cryptocurrency. His reward is you. It's me. That, the, that his glory will be seen in us. His son will be fully manifest in us. That, that he trusts himself and his love to be able to get us to a place where the glory of God, the explosion of love in our hearts will happen. So he is fully invested in this. Part of this amazing revelation that God wants to give us is not only who he is to us, but who we are to him. So I love that. The power, there's a power that comes to the human soul when we realize that we are desired by somebody desirable. That the king of the universe knows our name. I'll never forget the first time. I didn't know Jesus. I was a, I was a Christmas Christian. You know them, right? They're, they're, they chose the, that religion because they liked the presents. I mean, am I the only one here? I like the tree and the traditions, and I, you know, I like Santa. And that's, you know, you get it. So... And I remember walking by somebody who was talking to my sister, and they were actually prophesying over her in the name of Jesus. And something in my heart leapt. And I thought, this little voice inside of me thought, oh, I wish that she would say something to me. I wish that God would say something to me. You see, the power, that's the power of prophecy. Don't you know that what's happening in the streets of America, in the streets of the earth right now, the children are raging because within their hearts, they know that there is someone who should love them and see them. 
someone who should find them desirable, somebody who will love them and honor them. And that's the beauty of the prophetic. Because when the prophetic comes down, when the voice of heaven comes down, when he arrests our hearts in love, we hear him and we go, wait, he knows me. We respond, our hearts, our emotions, our spirits connect to his spirit. And that's what causes us to grow in love. And that's part of the story of the Song of Solomon, that the Shulamite heard his voice. And when Jesus came to get me and when Jesus came to get you, in a real way, this love was what Song of Solomon says. It's a most vehement love. There is no comparison. You can't try to get a human experience of love like this. It is truly beyond measure. It is truly a supernatural encounter that captures us in ways that nothing else can. Because the king of the universe said, I chose you. I chose you. You see, Jesus wasn't talked into taking you. He didn't have to be convinced. He wasn't forced to go to the cross. But it was his joy. You are the joy that was set before him. I was the joy. It's not corporate. It's personal. It's individual. The uniqueness of how you were made. He formed you in your mother's womb. He is the greatest artist that has ever been known. Every aspect of your body, your personality, your hair color, everything about you, how tall you are, how you laugh, everything about you, how you cry, how you sleep. He formed you. He knew you. He desired you. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that he knew you before the foundation. He chose you to be his, that you have been predestined in this place. We've heard the story of the pearl of the great price and how the pearl is the kingdom of God. And we must respond to the Holy Spirit and sell everything and give everything so that we can obtain the kingdom. And while that's a good principle, that is actually not what that parable means. You see, Jesus is the merchant. The kingdom of heaven is like this whole story of this parable. He went to a far country called the earth. And when he found you, he sold everything and gave everything that he had. He searched the whole earth to find you. And he sold and gave it all so that you could come home and be with him. And the glory that he had, he said, now I'm going to give it to you. Man, what kind of love is this? He found you because you were the pearl of surpassing value. He made you. 
and he doesn't make mistakes. The glory of the bride is worth it to the Son of God. So we are desirable to God. You know, it's so interesting. He is the ultimate contemplative. He loves to gaze on beauty. And the most beautiful target of his gaze is his son. And when he looks at you, He's looking at his son. And you demonstrate and you have all these facets of his son. And it talks about this in Song of Solomon. When he himself said, oh, she's looking at me. I'm undone by one glance of your eyes and as you stare at me and I stare at you I feel the love of my son I see my son and I see you looking at me and it's the most beautiful love story that's ever been told you see this is the communion of mutual delight When you look at him and he looks at you. This is why he goes out into the countryside to find the shepherd girl, the Shulamite. The Shulamite is Now, I understand that as a man trying to get your arms around a bride, being a bride is maybe a little difficult, but think of it this way. Think of it like love because everyone loves to be loved and love to be pursued. We were at a wedding this last night and it was so beautiful watching this couple come together and how he had pursued her so beautifully and he had won her heart you know again men women start off basically like this you know you know they may be a lot of fun and really cute and smell good but their heart has to be pursued in a way that that you help their heart come alive in love john is still pursuing me to this day and i'm my heart is growing and growing and growing Listen, he pursues the shepherd girl in Song of Solomon, not because she's got it all together, but because he's a God that isn't bound by time. He sees her as she will be. The moment that he meets her, he's like, oh boy, you are so beautiful. And she's like, oh, I'm dark. I'm dark. You know, my mind is filled with all of these all of these negative thoughts. The glass is half empty in my mind all the time. And I think thoughts about myself. I'm, I'm dark. And he said, no, you're lovely. You're lovely. Now, she could have been a habitual liar. 
She could have been all kinds of things. She could have been a gossiper. She could have been a thief. She could have been many things. But he said, oh, boy, you are beautiful to me. Isn't that the way it is when we all first get saved? We're like, oh, boy, messy. Oh, man. He understands that what is true in the beginning is true in the end. This truth and this adoration is sown within the heart of every human being to be adored and loved by God. What we need, and I truly believe that without the prophetic in the church, the church has not fully demonstrated the truth of who God is and his love, which is why you see so many people raging because the truth hasn't been brought to them. But there's a stirring and awakening, and God's remnant is going to speak and declare and prophesy the truth of who he is to those. I'll never forget there was a prophecy John gave um, many, many years ago, there was a young woman that came to our prayer meeting, and um, John said, well, I just see you running down this football field, and you've got this football in your arm, and, and then he prophesied a bunch of other stuff to her, and she's just bawling her eyeballs out, and he's like, okay, and John was thinking, this is such a weird prophecy to give a woman, and so afterwards, um, he, he's like, are you okay, because she was inconsolable. And she said, I came here tonight asking the Lord um, for a word because I play in an all-women's football league in Houston, Texas. And I just needed to know if I was on the right road. You see, when God breaks in and you know that he knows, it just changes everything. Amen? All right. This song, this story, this poem is the most beautiful because it's the story of his beloved. It's the story of you, the journey of his pursuit of you and your response to his love. You can put your name in the place of where the shepherd girl is and meditate on it. You can listen to his thoughts and his opinions about you as you do that. This song is very important, especially course in our kingdom leadership school um, the, on Song of Solomon, and we'll take you into greater detail. But let's just jump right in. I'm going to do a fast forward. You're going to love this. It's going to be amazing. So chapter 1, it, uh, verse 2, um, let him kiss me. All right, so she has, she's gotten saved. Here she's, she's had an encounter with him. She's given her life to him. And, and her response, the Shulamite says this, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is ointment poured forth. Therefore, the virgins love you, meaning the church, draw me away. So in this encounter, she's encountering this love and it's so fresh. Remember when you were first saved and you were like, whoa, I don't know about you, but I put crosses all over my house. 
I mean, there was not a wall that didn't have a cross on it. And then I changed my email. R-I-N-T-H-I-N-A-S-I-A-N-S. And people were like, I, I mean, everywhere I went, I would have to spell it out. I mean, I was so there. I was all in. Because again, I was her. I was, I was dark. But he said I was lovely. And I was like, kiss me with the kisses of your word. For your words are giving life to me. That's what she means. It is when God speaks and God breaks in, it's so incredibly intimate that we're so undone, right? And we're in this time of courtship with him. And he's just wooing us into his heart. And so it's such a beautiful time. And so her response is this, draw me away. And she goes down and she says this, the king has brought me into his chambers, his chambers of love. This is, this is the wedding feast chambers. This is a place of preparation where she's being prepared for a wedding. Isn't that amazing? So there she is, just like I was seeing uh, the, the bride last night. She was in the chambers getting ready to walk down the aisle. She was getting ready for the procession, but it was the king or the bridegroom that was drawing her into that place. Don't you know that it's his responsibility to get you to the wedding? He is so confident of his love to get you there. He is so confident that, that his love will satisfy you and awaken you and keep drawing you towards the big heart Bob. That part's not in here. <laughs> I don't know how that didn't make it into the poem. Big heart Bob, mm -mm, nope. She says this in verse 5, I am dark but lovely. Down to verse 6, do not look upon me for I am dark because the sun has tanned me. And then she asked, she said, all right, so I'm hearing your words over me. And it's different than what I think about myself. You know, the first commandment says love God. Second commandment says love others as you love yourself. And so he's like, loving yourself is one of the commandments. You cannot love others unless you love yourself. The fuller you get here, the, the bigger your heart grows along this trajectory, the more you'll love you, the more you'll love God, the more you'll love others. It's impossible to love someone if you don't know how to love them from the way God has loved you. All right. Then she said this in verse 7. It's not up here. It's, but she says this, I don't know how to follow you. And he's like, follow the ones who are following me. Look at what they're doing. Look at the ones who have fruit. Now, I'm going to just pause there for a minute because a lot of times what we'll do is we'll follow people that have gifts. And they're all prophetic and, you know, they've got the big ministries or whatever. But their lives are a complete disaster. They don't have a good marriage. They don't have good finances. They don't, their, their children feel like orphans. And so he's saying, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit and follow the ones who have planted the vineyard successfully and they've produced good wine. 
They're, they're baking good bread because that's food that will feed you and they will teach you the ways of the kingdom. All right. So then we move forward in chapter two. And again, it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He's telling her how fabulous she is. She's saying, wait, I'm beginning to listen to what you're saying. And I'm actually repeating this love that you're speaking over me back to you. And so there's this thing going on. And then what happens, dun, 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 is he calls her into the first dark night of the soul. Okay? That's in chapter 2. Now, the first dark night of the soul, he says to her, I want you to come up this mountain. I want you to come away with me. And he starts wooing her. The Bible says that we get wooed into the wilderness. You know those seasons that are really difficult, but you think they're going to be awesome? Like you get a prophetic word, and you're like, oh, my gosh, God's expanding my tote bags. It's going to be amazing. Well, when somebody says that to you, you need to go, I need to pray. <laughs> But the beauty of, of being brought into this, this dark night of the soul in chapter 2, um, and typically the, the first dark night of the soul, and I'll just tell you this from experience. It doesn't actually say this, but it, but it is the first one. But typically, that, that wilderness season for you will be external circumstances. It'll be finances. It'll be, you know, your car breaks down. You know, you don't have enough money to pay your rent. Your boss is giving you a hard time. You didn't get that promotion. And so there's all of these ancillary things that are happening to you that are creating pressure on you, right? And so he's saying, come up here with me. You asked me to, you said, draw me away, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm drawing you away, but it's the pressure of life that's coming on you that's making you change your schedule, and it's getting you on your knees so that you can actually grow in love because you just prioritize me because you're in pain. You hear what I'm saying? Is anybody else feeling what I'm feeling? Okay. So that's kind of what he does the first dark night of the soul. Now, something that happens to her is that he calls her to the mountaintop, but she says here in verse 3, chapter 1, by night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. I will rise now, and I will go into the city. Now, he called her into the mountain, but she's looking for him in the city. So what happens here is on that journey, She's not really disobedient. She's just partially obedient to him because she's not fully confident in his love for her. She's believing it, but it hasn't really settled within her that she can trust him in her pain. So what she does is what many of us will do with pain is we immediately look for the exit door. We look for how, how can I get out of this pain? How can I, okay, how can I manage myself out of this pain? How can I get myself, okay, there's got to be some sort of strategy, some sort of plan, some sort of, uh, that I can get myself to avoid this wilderness. And so that's what she does. She's like, I, I, I don't know that I can trust you because I think that the pain might be too much for me. And he's like, okay, okay. So 
she meets him in the city. And, and at this point, what she's doing, she goes to the watchmen. Now, the watchmen is everybody in the church. The watchmen are the ones that she's been following who have been teaching her along the way. And she goes to them and they're like, we're going to help you. We're going to help you. We love you. Now, this is to put this in terms of today. The church is like, we're going to help you. We're going to help you move your house. We're going to help you um, with your finances. We're going to sow into you. We're here for you because that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. We're standing with you. We're interceding for you. We're praying for you. Beautiful picture of the body. So then we, it goes on. And again, what happens is the king shows up and he begins to tell her again about this procession. And he says, look, I'm sending chariots for you. I want you so much that I'm going to send the, the, the king's horses. It's so extravagant, my love for you. You are a poor peasant girl, but I'm telling you, I am going to treat you like royalty and I'm going to draw you in. I, we're going to go through another season of romance so that your heart is ready and prepared to continue to grow. So beautiful. And then here's, let's turn to uh, chapter, whoops, chapter 4, verse 9. This is what he says to her, okay? You have ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. You have ravished my heart with one look of your eyes with one link of your necklace. How fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better than wine is your love and the scent of your perfume than all spices. So what's happening to her is that her heart is coming alive, the garden of her heart. And the garden of her heart is starting to put off a fragrance because love, when it hits the human heart, it does something to us where we actually begin to smell like him. It says in, 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 the, in the New Testament, I can't remember where, but it talks about the fragrance, that we are the fragrance of Christ to the earth. And so that is really what begins to happen. And he's saying to her, always look at me. When you take time in prayer to be with me, I am undone. I am undone by you. So in this maturity, she says this, man, it's so good. She said, awake, O north wind, and come, O south. Blow upon my garden. In other words, blow upon my heart. That the spices, remember the spices he was just talking about, may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. She just invited another dark night of the soul. She invited the, the south wind and the north wind. These are the winds of blessings and the winds of adversity. And she's saying, no matter what it costs, I trust your love and I have grown so much in connection with you that I don't care. I just have to have more of you. How many of you have prayed those prayers? No matter what, God, I want all that you have for me. And so she enters into this new time, this chapter five, another dark night of the soul. But this time it's different. This time 
She's not partially obedient. But as he woos her away, she runs to that place. Now, typically, this dark night of the soul is much more intense. This dark night of the soul is Judas's kiss. Nobody escapes that kiss. As it was for Jesus, so it will be for you. And what do I mean by that? Jesus had two dark nights of the soul. The first was situational. He had a lot of the people that were supposed to love him that rejected him. The Pharisees, the accusations. But then came the real dark night of the soul. Kissed by a brother. Betrayed by someone who was supposed to be faithful and loyal to him. One of the twelve. And this is where it gets really interesting. So in chapter 5. The Shulamite says this, I have taken off my robe. In other words, I'm surrendering. How can I put it on again? I have washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved. My hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the hands of the lock. You see, at this point, what happens is there's complete surrender. She's saying, I've taken off this. I've taken everything off. I've washed my feet. My feet are clean. With the places that I walk now, I'll walk in vulnerability. And she said, my hands are covered with myrrh. Myrrh is a death spice. Okay? She's saying that the work of my hands, I'm going to let that die. I fully trust you now. I fully give myself to you because I realize I don't know what I'm doing. This part of my life is dying. I'm letting go of even my own strength and my own might. And I'm fully trusting in your spirit now to lead me and guide me and to be the one who I know will carry me forward. That even in my pain and even in my sorrow, I trust you, God. So the most incredible thing happens. And as she's in this place, again, she goes out searching for him. And she finds the watchman. But this time it's different. Because as she's looking for her beloved, and she's saying to the ones that are in the church, hey, help me. Help me find my way. Help me. What do they do? Well, they tear her. They beat her, and they tear her veil. What? The church? The people who are supposed to be the ones that are standing with you? What is that all about? Well, look at what happened with Jesus. The dark night of the soul. When he's betrayed by Judas, one that's supposed to be closer than a brother. And what happens is everybody else flees. They all, be, they all leave. 
Well, with her, what happens and what will happen to you is the minute that somebody who's supposed to love you, it could be a husband, it could be a wife, it could be a brother in the Lord, it could be a sister in the Lord, it could be whoever. It could be a brother and sister in the natural, a mom or a dad. As they betray you, others will begin to accuse you. And you've got to stand in that place and press through the most violent betrayal. And you have to say, where is Jesus? He's the one that I love. I haven't given up my love. He's the most beautiful one. He's the one I still pursue. And through that whole experience, everything that she longed for, in the very beginning when she said, draw me away, I want to be with you, this all happens for her. Because she wanted to see him face to face. And it took all of this adversity for us to get us to the place where the veil gets torn, where we just give it all up and we see him with this heart that's fully awakened in love, that there's no veil between his love and my love. And then there's nothing that will tell you that, that anything other than what God is saying to you, which is, I am good, I died for you, you are my reward, I love you, and how precious you are to me. And that becomes your truth, and everything else is a lie. So she goes along the way, and she gets to the most beautiful place of all. In chapter 7, verse 12, she says this, let us get up early to the vineyards. Do you see what she's doing? She's no longer saying, I want to be with you where you are. She's saying, I am with you where you are. It's not you and me. It's now us. And she realizes now that she's come into unity and oneness with him, that where he is she is where she is, he is. There is such a unity that has happened. And the very thing that she longed for all along, this authority has now come to her because she has sur been surpassed every adversity and she has kept her love on. Danny Silk. All right, verse 12. Let us get up early to the vineyards. In other words, the place where we'll have wine. Let us see if the vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give off a fragrance and our gates. She didn't say his gates and she didn't say my gates. She said, my gate is your gate. It's our gates. Let the king of glory come into our gates in other words, her eyes are pleasant fruits, all manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you. And then she summarizes it here. The Shulamite, as she's speaking to him, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flames. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. So the very place that she longed for, his love was able to bring her into. 
this is not her story, this is your story. And it helps us to understand the ways of God and how betrayal and heartache serves God. What the enemy means for evil, God will turn for good. And I'm telling you, you can take that to the bank 100% of the time. As you pursue him in these places of adversity and pressure, and what's happening right now on the earth is God is shaking everything and he's pressing the whole world towards his son. We are in a big, gigantic, worldwide Song of Solomon moment right now where he is saying, come to me. He's actually speaking to his church, come to me. And he will have a church that is fully alive, spotless, beautiful, and ready for her wedding day. So, great. I'll tell you a dream real quick. Um, just to summarize all of this, one of a young girl at IHOP had this dream where she was in this room dancing with Jesus. And she's dancing with him and dancing with him, and they're having this beautiful romantic time of love and tenderness and um, kindness. And she sees this door, this small door appear on the, on the wall. And she said to Jesus, what is that? And he said, that is um, the door of the dark night of the soul. And she said, can I go there? And he said, no, you're not small enough yet. And so they continued to dance, and there was a time where she was ready to go there. So she goes into the next room that this door leads her into, the, the room of adversity and the room of heartache, the room of the wilderness. And she's there with Jesus, and, a, and he's speaking kind things to her. He's speaking truth to her in this place. And she sees another door, a hatch, and it's really small, and it opens up on the floor. And she says to him, what is that door? And he said, that's the door to my authority. And she said, can I go there? And he said, no, you're not small enough yet. And so there came a time when she got small enough through this time of heartache and and just yielding and surrendering, she goes through that door of authority. It really is a beautiful picture of the journey that, that Christ has us on, is that he, he's trying to get us to be small right here, that we would surrender to our own thinking, to our own plans, to our own strategies, that we would give it up and say, God, you decide. I follow you and you alone. All right, let's stand. All right, how'd I do? Song of Solomon. 45 minutes. Come on, come on, come on. All right, so Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this beautiful story this beautiful testimony, this beautiful poetry, this beautiful song. Thank you that you sing this over us. And God, I ask you that every step of the way that you would help us to remember your love is sufficient to take us through, to build us, 
to, to draw us, to increase us. And I thank you for the deep work that you're doing in your body. Thank you for the deep work that you're doing in us, that you're drawing us into the greatest story of your son. Prepare us for your return. Prepare us for the wedding day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.